the fellow who invited them was a new guy in town and he had become a good friend but Andy Andrews says I have to confess he could have been an axe murderer and he still would have been my best friend because his dad owned a boat that you could take out in the open sea and that's what they planned to do there was a uh, an oil rig about 90 miles offshore and they had heard that yellow fins were biting like mad out there and that's what they wanted to do they wanted to put in in the shadow of this oil rig and find their way out and do some fishing so they got into the boat they loaded things up and they headed out they set the autopilot that would take them directly to the oil rig and then they just kind of watched the sun go down as they made their way out to where they were going to do their fishing he said it was sometime late in the evening when they began to realize that there was no sign of that oil rig. And that was hard to imagine because this thing was so big that several energy companies had gone together to pool their resources to build this thing. It was huge out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico and yet they saw nothing. No signs of light, no signs of life, nothing they began to realize they were out in the middle of the ocean and nobody knew where they were and nobody knew to look for them and they were absolutely, completely lost. Not only that, they also realized and we didn't do anything about storing away some extra fuel just in case. And they recognized that while they had enough fuel to take their engines out to the rig and back again, they didn't have anything that allowed for being lost in the ocean. Eventually, they figured out the only thing we can do is turn around and point in the direction that we think the beach will be and try to make their way back toward home. He said one of his lasting memories is he had that big orange life vest and he said, you know, I've always thought of those things as kind of a nuisance, but now I was thinking, well, this is how they'll find us uh, when they finally find our bodies out in the middle of the ocean. So they began to make their way back toward land and they went as far as they could until finally one engine and then the other gave out a fuel. And the only thing they could do was to drop an anchor and hope that when the light came again, they would be able to figure out something about where they were. And as dawn began to break, they realized they were in sight of land. And before long, someone else came along and recognized their plight and pulled them into the beach and he realized, you know, maybe I'm going to live after all. So beyond the shadow of a doubt, that was the most frightening night I ever spent in my life. That was the night I realized that I had made every error in the world, and yet I was going to live. Later on, they were trying to figure out what exactly happened that got them so off course? And you know what they discovered? They discovered that on the boat, the autopilot that they had set was just off center. It was just off course. In fact, you know how far off course it was? It was two degrees off course. He said on the autopilot itself, about a sixteenth of an inch 
But when you sail 90 miles, a sixteenth of an inch becomes so wide and so far that it leaves you completely lost. When I read about that night, I couldn't help but think how important it is for us that we need to know we are on path, we are on course in our own lives. After all, there are so many ways that we can allow ourselves to get off course. We can choose so many paths. Some are positive, some are negative. Some will build you up, some will tear you down. Some will make you stronger, some will sap all the strength you have. Some people believe you only get in trouble when you live a life that is so far off of God's path that you know you're headed in the wrong direction. But this is what we learn from Andy Andrews and from the 23rd Psalm. You don't have to be that far off course to get yourself in trouble. You don't have to radically reject God's way in your life. You just have to pick a path that's a little bit wrong. This is what the Bible wants you to remember. You can choose a path that leads you closer to Christ or you can choose one of many paths that lead you further from him than you ever thought you were going. Sometimes you're going a path that you know is the wrong way. You absolutely know it's the wrong way. You understand it's the wrong way. You have chosen to go the wrong way. But there are an awful lot of other paths where you're just off a little bit, not very far, but over the course of a lifetime, you find out it takes you a long way away from the Lord and his plan for your life. That's not what I'm telling you. That's what Jesus himself told you. Remember what he said in Matthew 7? Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. And that's exactly what the Bible is telling us. When it tells us that the Lord leads us in paths of righteousness. He is saying this is the direction that you choose. Nothing is more critical in your life than to know you are on track where the Lord is concerned. Because whether you're off by two, two degrees or ten degrees or fifty degrees in the long run, it doesn't matter. Off is off. Off course is off course. So how do you choose the right way? Well, Psalm 23.3 tells us the secret. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How am I going to know I'm following the right path? I have to be following the shepherd's path. I need to be going the direction that he chooses and not the direction I choose for myself. As David's life was drawing to a close and Solomon was preparing to become king, David took those lessons he had learned about following the path of the shepherd and he taught his son how to choose the path of righteousness. The principles we read, we read together in 1 Kings chapter 2 are the same ones that apply to you and me 
today. They're the ones that we use. So today I want to talk about what it means to let him lead you in paths of righteousness. And I want to take that counsel that David gave to Solomon. At the end of a long life, having learned the hard way and the easy way, how important it is to stay on track with the Lord. He wanted his son to know, this is how you stay on track. And he wants you and I to know, this is how you choose the right path. And he tells us some things we really need to know about what it means to follow Jesus. This is what he says. He says his leadership will always bring you to paths of character. David's first saw, uh, words to Solomon were these. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Be strong and prove yourself a man. In other words, be a person of courage and character. He was saying to this young man at the beginning of his life, recognizing he's about to move into the most crucial point uh, of his life, this is how you stay on track. And one of the things you have to decide is, I am going to be a person of strong character. When all is said and done, what do you think makes the most difference in how fulfilling your life will be? Is it what you did for a living? Is it where you were able to go? Is it the money you made, the things you own? Will it be the approval of the world around you? What's going to decide whether your life was on track or not? David wanted Solomon to know this. Real satisfaction comes from knowing you respect the person who lives in your own skin. Be a person of character. Be the kind of person that when you look at yourself, you think, now there's somebody I can respect. I respect the life they live. I respect the testimony they have. I recognize that God is at work in their lives. You have to choose to follow the path of godly character. Knowing that you don't have to be ashamed of wrong actions or compromised values. Earning the respect of friends and enemies alike. Becoming the person that your own children want to imitate. The truth is this. If you choose to be a person of character, then you are choosing to do what you have to do to be able to come to the end of your life and reflect the testimony of the Apostle Paul who said, I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I did things the right way. So what does it take to become a person of godly character? Well, let me suggest a few things. The first thing I would say is this. You have to make a personal choice. One thing is true about godly character, and it is this. It is never accidentally. You don't accidentally become faithful. You don't accidentally become a good person. You don't accidentally choose integrity. You make a choice. This is the kind of person I want to be. When my children were young and growing up, one of the decisions that Judith and I made at the beginning was this. As we raised these children who have been placed under our care, we want to decide these are the qualities we want to see in them as adults and then raise them toward those qualities. And I think the same thing is true in your own personal life. When it comes to being a person of character, one of the things that you have to do is project out, look down the road, come to the end of your life and say, when my time comes, when I leave this world and go into eternity, what kind of person 
do I want to have been? How do I want the people who love me to remember me? How do I want the world itself to see my life? And having made that decision, then you begin to say, so what do I do from this point to that point to be that kind of person? Character takes a choice. Second thing you have to do is this. You have to conduct your life with consistent Christian standards and expectations. If I'm going to be a person of godly character, one of the things that I've got to decide is this. And my Christian faith is the most important thing about me. Now, I have other priorities, and there are other things that are valuable in my life, but nothing is more important than my Christian faith. And if that is so, then I want to live according to Christian standards. I want to recognize this is who I am. No matter who I'm with, no matter what I'm doing, I simply want to know I've raised up the standards in my own life. And I'm going to expect more from myself than anybody else has a right to expect from me. Then the third most important thing, and you have to hunger to be pleasing to God. I want my God to be pleased with my life. Believing that what he thinks of you is far more important than what you think of yourself or any other individual or group thinks of you, that's important. What does God think of the way I'm living out my life? You see, the shepherd leads you in paths of righteousness. But you have to decide to walk in that path. The Bible's command is an imperative. You have to make a choice. I will follow his path with all that is in me. His leadership leads you to paths of character. But that's not all. The Bible also says this. And his leadership compels you to stay close to him. David gave Solomon a second command. This is what he said. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. To walk in his ways. To keep his statutes. His commandments. His judgments. And his testimonies. The Lord's giving us a prescription. For how to stay close to the shepherd. We're not saying. I'm doing the best I can. As much as I can figure it out. According to my own judgment. I think I'm staying close to God. Instead. Uh, David is saying. This is what it means. To follow the shepherd's path. You keep his charge. You walk in his ways. You keep his statutes. You follow his commandments. You trust his judgments. You believe his testimonies. We are meant to keep God's charge. What does that mean? That means live your life as a trust from God. You know, in David's time, a king would call a trusted servant to himself and he would say, here's something I want you to take care of. It's valuable to me. It is precious in my sight. And I want you to keep it and I want you to protect it and I want you to take care of it and don't let anything happen to it. And that became a driving force in that servant's life. I want to make sure that at the end of the day, my sovereign is pleased because I have kept his charge. I have fulfilled the trust that he placed under my care. And I believe I've done everything I could to take care of it. Jesus told several parables about faithful and unfaithful servants. 
and all kinds of different situations. But in every parable, the point was always to be a faithful steward of whatever God has placed under your care. So one of the things that you're called to do if you're going to walk in paths of righteousness is simply to do that, to treat your life as a trust. So what has God entrusted to you? Well, he's entrusted your life and the way you live it. He's given it to you and he's given you instructions and he tells you what to do and then he entrusts you. Now, you live your life in a way that brings honor to me. And as you're choosing your own priorities and as you're making your own decisions, let my pleasure be the one thing that drives you more than anything. Is God pleased? Your life and the way you live it. But not just your life and how you live it, but you also have to, you, you've also been entrusted with your influence over the lives of others. Every one of us is an influencer of one kind or another. For some, that idea of being an influencer has something to do with the position you hold. But so many times, it's simply the influence you have over the life of somebody who watches you as you go about your daily living. They're watching you at school. They're watching you at work. They're watching you in the neighborhood. They're watching you at church. They're watching you not to catch you doing something wrong, but because your life has so much influence that they're trying to follow the direction that you've given them. They want to be like you. God has entrusted you with influence. What an incredible thing. Influence over your spouse. Influence over your children. Influence over your grandchildren. Influence over people that are important in your life. Influence over lost people who are watching you walk with God. And that's the third thing God has entrusted to you, your testimony. You have been entrusted with the story of how Jesus saved you and what he did in your life. And you've been entrusted with it not to keep to yourself, but to make known in other people's lives. If you're a believer, then God has given you a testimony. Sometimes people think, you know, the only kind of testimony that anybody really wants to hear is one of those really dramatic testimonies. You know, I was a drug dealer and I killed people and I went to prison and I've got the scars and tattoos to prove it. And then at seven years old, Jesus saved me. Those are the kinds of dramatic testimonies we're listening for. But the truth is, sometimes the best testimonies of all are those of a consistent Christian life. That testimony of this is who I was, and this is who, uh, how Jesus saved me, and this is how I've lived for him ever since. And sometimes what you need to be able to say is, you know what? When I was 10 years old, I had a saving encounter with Jesus Christ. And from that day forward, I've done the best I could to live for him over the course of a lifetime. What a powerful story that is. God has trusted you with your testimony. And there are going to be times and opportunities when you have the privilege of sharing 
what Christ has done for you. I think sometimes the biggest mistake any of us can ever make when it comes to sharing our faith with other people is that we think, I wish I could share my faith with this person, but I don't have all the verses memorized and I don't have all of the steps in my mind and, and I'm afraid I'll get something wrong. But really all you have to do is to be able to say, this is what Jesus has done and is doing in my life. Would you like him to do that for you? And then you're trusted with your eternal destiny. Every one of us makes that decision. Where am I going to spend eternity? And God trusts us to make a decision. He trusts us to make a decision to trust his son as Savior and Lord. But he allows us to decide whether we're ready or not. God has trusted you with your eternal destiny. He expects you to make a wise decision. And it's a decision that is literally a heaven and hell decision. But you get to choose. You know why? Because he trusts you. And calls you to make a wise decision. To keep the charge of the Lord your God, you have to walk in his path. It's not easy. Throughout history, people have tried to find a way to live a life that matters without being accountable to the Lord. But that path just does not exist. You may think, you know what? I think I can do this without the Lord. I think I can make wise decisions. I think I can be a good person. I think I can earn my way to heaven. I think I can do this by myself without the Lord. And maybe you do a really good job of it. But you know what? You're still two degrees off course. Ten degrees off course. And by the time you stand before the Lord to account for your life, you'll recognize, I can't do this without him. How does the Lord lead you in paths of righteousness? This passage gives us the answer. It says you're to walk in his ways. You're to obey his commandments. You're to live by his standards. And then David wanted his son to know this. And his leadership guides you in the way of blessings. David made a promise to Solomon. A promise that went all the way back to the 23rd Psalm in David's life. When it says he will lead me in the paths of righteousness. This is what he said to Solomon. He said that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you turn. One of the things about the path of righteousness is that God's plan for each one of us will lead to individual destinations. When he leads you in a path of righteousness, that means God has a path of righteousness that he has chosen for you. Now, there's some things that all of us do. Trusting Jesus. Asking him to forgive our sins. Choosing his way of salvation. But then we also know this. And then there are plans that God has for each and every one of you his path for your life 
My path's not your path. Your path is not mine. None of us can know where the Lord may lead the person beside us. I think about that time when Peter walked on the the shore of the sea with the resurrected Jesus and Jesus began to talk to Peter about what was going to come and about how there was going to come that time when he was going to find himself chained and carried around where he did not want to go but he was to be faithful for a lifetime you remember that and Peter noticed walking behind them was John And he was getting a little uncomfortable about how close the Lord was getting to him. So he decided to change the subject. And he said to the Lord, but what about him? What about John? You remember what Jesus said to Peter? He said, it's none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. And he says that to every one of us. It's not about what he's going to do with the person beside you's life. It's not about what he's going to do with the person behind you's life. It's not about what he's going to do with the people around you's life. It's about your life. And he wants you to know that he has a path, a plan just for you. What's important is each of us must be committed to following where the shepherd leads. If you will show me the way, I will follow. Here's the thing about that path of righteousness. And you don't make that decision after the fact. You don't say to the Lord, if you will show me and explain to me and make it clear to me, then I'll follow. Instead, you just say, I'll follow. Where are we going? And you know what the Lord will say to you? I'm going to lead you in the path of blessing. God's promise is that everyone who is committed to walking his path will be blessed. You'll be blessed in ways you cannot imagine right now. You'll be blessed in ways that are different from anything you expected. But if you are single-hearted and following the Savior, you will be blessed. Remember this. Blessings are not a promise that you're going to get whatever you want. When the Lord says he will bless you, he's not saying, so you name the terms and I'll fulfill them. Instead, blessings are the things that happen which reveal God's perfect presence in your life. Blessings are those things that come along, sometimes expected, sometimes unexpected. But when they happen, you know because you might as well hear the Lord saying in your life, see, I know who you are, I know where you are, I know what's going on in your life, and I am here for you. And he blesses you. And you recognize the fingerprints of Jesus Christ have just touched my life. There's only one condition. Blessings are only bestowed when you're actively following the path of righteousness. We are responsible for making godly choices and following godly paths. And when we do, then the Lord can bless us. But don't expect the blessing when you're not following the path. 
And you know, so many people do. So many people put the weight of their lives on the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they're not inclined to follow his way. Uh, over the past number of, of years, I don't know how many times I've had this kind of conversation with somebody whose life has fallen apart because of choices they made and relationships that have been broken and tragedy that's occurred all because of their own sinful decisions. You know, I knew right and I chose wrong. I wasn't listening and I went my own way. And then tragedy occurs. Or as I have said to a number of parents over the years, your child's not going to listen until they run into a brick wall. The funny thing is, I sit down and I talk to folks in those kinds of situations who have made sinful decisions, sinful choices, walked in paths God would not have them walk. And then when they reap the consequences of it, they sit down and this is what they say to me in all seriousness. I don't know how God could have let that happen to me. I don't know how God could have done that in my life. And I'm thinking... God had nothing to do with it. You did this to yourself. And in the same way, we cannot believe, I'm going to do the things that I know God doesn't want me to do. I'm going to make choices God doesn't want me to make. And somehow, I'm going to ask him to bless me. It just won't happen. On the other hand, I've also known a lot of people who've gone through some real hardships and difficulties in their life who have struggled mightily with tragedy that took place in their lives and yet somehow in the midst of it all they've remained faithful and they've seen God's hand at work in it all 1820 a baby was born into a loving Christian family parents named her Fanny Fanny Crosby when she was only an infant, an eye infection stole her sight. Penny, she never knew what it was like to see the world around her. Yet in her lifetime, she wrote hundreds of hymns praising the Lord for all he had done for her, many of which we still sing today. All the way my Savior leads me. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Jesus, keep me near the cross. That song that we sing so often at the conclusion of our service, to God be the glory, great things he has done. And so many more. She lived a life in which she experienced the blessings of God in every direction. One day, someone sat down and talked to her, and they asked her this question. Have you ever been bitter about not being able to see? And this is what Fanny Crosby said. She said, I would have loved to have had my sight, to look on those I love, to experience the colors and beauty of the world around me. But my blindness has given me a special blessing. You see... One day I will die, and when I get to heaven, my eyes will be healed. 
And on that day, the first face I will ever see will be the face of Jesus. How powerful is that? If you haven't heard anything else I said today, hear this because it is true. Unless you live for Christ, nothing you do will give your life the direction you need. But if you let him lead your paths, you will find blessings all around you. All around you. And that's why David could look across the events of his life, the dangers and the trials, the achievements and successes, the sins and the repentance, and tell his son, God always keeps his promises. Long ago, he wrote in the 23rd Psalm, he leads me in the paths of righteousness. It was true in his day. It's true today. Everything depends upon a single decision. Am I ready to follow the path that the Savior leads? Am I ready to go his way? He leads us in paths of righteousness. All we have to do is follow. Have you made that decision today, that decision to follow Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord? Maybe you're here and you're lost. You're lost because... You've chosen a life that's 2 degrees, 10 degrees, 20 degrees off course. And it's led you in directions that have taken you far from God. And you recognize it's time for me to come back to Jesus. I need to ask him to forgive my sins. I need to trust him as my savior. I need to follow him as my shepherd. Today I choose his path. If today you're here and you're not a Christian, in just a minute we're going to sing an invitation hymn. And when we do, if you'd just come down this aisle, and I'm going to be here and Dr. Hutchins is going to be here and either of us would love to introduce you to the Savior. Or maybe you're recognizing that following his path for your life means becoming part of what he's doing at First Baptist Church of Birmingham. And he's calling you to bring your membership here, to trust him and to follow him. Maybe there's another decision, a decision about rededication, a decision about obedience, and you just need to share it and to pray with somebody. You're welcome to come. We would be glad to meet you. Is there a decision you need to make today? Let's stand and let's sing. And as we sing, as God speaks to your heart, you come.
good day in God's house. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. Had a great turnout last week, a great time together. Uh, you know, last week I challenged y'all to come eat ice cream, and I think we had four at the end of the night. So come, we've got great snacks planned. It's going to be a good time. We're going to have a great study. I can't wait to see you. It's going to be a beautiful evening. See you at 6 o'clock this evening. Let's bow together for our final prayer. And then our last song. Father, we do thank you that you're the one who leads us in paths of righteousness. Lord, thank you that you don't leave us to wander by ourselves or to struggle to find direction. But Father, you're there for us, guiding and blessing, showing us the way. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in obedience to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.